Hello, listeners, and welcome to the season two premiere of the Rough Draft Podcast Show. If you didn't get a chance to hear our teaser, I'm your new host, Ryan Emmert, and I have been patiently waiting for this day to arrive. Yes, this is the day we are jumping into the deep end of the pool all together now. And don't fret as we tread a little water, figuring things out as we go along. All in all, I think that's what we're here for. That's what the Rough Draft Podcast Show is all about. One, two, three, Talk about four. stuff, learn a little bit as we go along, and just be who we are, express the knowledge we have as students, as artists, as our own worst critics, and so on and so on. Here we go. To begin, I would like to introduce this year's dream team. Uh, we have a solid lineup of students in the publication management class to work on the York Review. We have our print editor, Suwala Ida our online editor, Melissa Rector, our communications editor, Andrea Leinbaugh, our assistant editors are Ashley Rohrbaugh, Kara Waltersdorf, our copy editor is Kendra Jones, and we have two design editors on board with us this year, not in the publication management class, Heather Outwater and Morgan Barnett. Also hosting the podcast this year with me, our publisher, Austin Wolf, who is really moving the York Review in a new direction this year. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Al, how you're trying to do that? Yeah, and before I start, I have an introduction. Thank you. Um, but I've been involved with the York Review for a year and a half at this point. Before I got involved, I was passionate about writing, but I had no idea the York Review even existed. When I signed up for publication management, I began to get consumed by the culture and realized that we're just surrounded by a community of writers, mm -hmm. artists, photographers. And I wondered how I was on campus with such a passion for it and never even knew it existed before. Um, and I just threw myself into the scene. And then I started to no notice it grow. There was live events, open mics, big crowds. And every time we had an open mic, the same faces were kind of hanging around. Mm -hmm. And then I started going down the first Fridays in the Market View Arts. And mm -hmm. I would notice the same type of crowd. Right. But I just, we didn't really hang out. We didn't share our work with each other. We didn't even really know all these little sectors of creativity existed. I didn't like how separated we felt. Right. So you wanted to just sort of take the fishing line and just bring everyone together. Exactly. I wanted to um, kind of connect the community. Through connectivity, we could all inspire each other to kind of have more desire to create art. We, we climb up upon one another to the top. <laughs> exactly, right to the top. So, yeah, great, great ideas. Uh, what do you plan on doing to implement these sort of ideas? The York Review, we were just publishing a magazine at that point which is a great way to share art and literature, but it just didn't reach enough people. Right. And I knew we had this website kind of hanging around dormant, and we weren't really doing anything with it. And so I realized that was the direction to take it. Mm -hmm. 
because there's just so many ways to access online content now, so many ways to share it. Yeah, it's becoming sort of the only way for a lot of people. Exactly. Um, and I don't agree with arguing that Prince dead or anything. Of course. But of course not. It's definitely not nearly as relevant as the digital space now. Mm -hmm. and it's it, transforming. Exactly, it's transforming, and print is valuable for different ways, and I'm sure we can right. figure that out so at some point. Why, why do you think we're just now talking about this? I mean, the digital age has been a wave that's just been, I mean, coming from afar, building up. We know, we know it's coming. Why do we feel like we're just now talking about this in the literary and the artistic community? Well, I always feel like it was rejected for a long time, True, very um, true. It's like we didn't want it to come. Exactly. We so didn't we sort of turned a blind come. eye to it. We saw it coming. Right, we thought it would ruin art. Exactly, because there is value in creating things with your hand, mm -hmm. being able to hold it, right. and read it, and enjoy it, but it's not the only way to enjoy art. Absolutely not. Especially now with the more accessible nature of the internet. Certainly. I mean, just digital video by far. I mean, that took music performance and comedy and all and screenplay, all of this to a whole new level because now anybody can just get their hands on a camera and just make it, make it happen. Exactly. And we're, through all of this, we've seen so many different voices rise mm -hmm. and um, different ideas of what expression is and what it can be. So I think embracing this kind of digital space via the website mm -hmm. or social media via the podcast via the podcast viva la podcast viva la podcast start a revolution yes the one take wonders the one take wonders <laughs> sometimes uh, <laughs>
Like, what's, what's holding us back, you think? It's such a strange thing, too, because of course I want to share my art, but at the same time, I'm nervous that it's not going to be received well, mm -hmm. and that's going to kind of define my voice. Or right, you're like you're sort of just setting a standard for yourself. Exactly. Maybe to the public eye, and if you can't reach that again, or just that if that's not high enough for you, like that's just what, what's keeping you from doing it to begin with. Yeah, and those are things we need to get over, at least right, I need to get sort over. of just figurative things in our, like figurative obstacles in our brain that just keep us from uh, embracing the work we've made and, and just speaking of it and being the work out in public spaces. And it's a constant struggle, and I think that's true for a lot of people who care about this. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think the York Review is so important, because if we all can acknowledge that we all feel this way, we can right. encourage each other. And that we have an area, or just a space, where we can sort of appreciate and, and sort of respectfully critique one another, uh, that there's no harm done in making art. No, and like no matter what you're doing, it's going to be embraced, it's going to be shared by your community. Yeah, and it kind of makes me think the York Review is just a community builder. We might as well just get out there and start building houses, right? Yeah. I mean, well, maybe we don't have to go that far. But. Actually, we are kind of going that far. Remember that email I told you about? Uh, right, you're right. A Spartan Service Day. Could, could you actually, do you know any more about that? Um, I have an email. It is Saturday, October 8th, 12.30 to 4.30 p.m. Basically, the York is going to go out there, travel down to the city, I believe it's time for our first Community Spotlight interview. Uh, we were able to contact Tori Azaro and talk with her about your, her Child of the World film photography portfolio. In January of 2016, she took a trip over to India. She worked with orphans at a place called Hoina, which stands for Homes of the Indian Nation. Uh, and, well, she took a plethora of photographs, I mean hundreds of photographs, of which she selected 20 to craft, I mean, this amazing black and white film photography portfolio uh, and just a beautiful representation uh, of the things she did while she was over there. And it's available for viewing on our website. You should check it out. Uh, I think it complements the interview. That's all I really need to say. I think it speaks for itself. Let's hear it out. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, how long have you been shooting photography uh, or just any sort of visual art? How long have you been involved with that? 
Um, I started digital photography in middle school and it kind of, you know, it felt right, great medium, but just some, there was a missing piece involved and I couldn't figure it out. And then when I started my freshman year of high school was when I kind of learned about uh, film photography and the dark room. And actually my high school teacher was really against dark rooms, so she didn't want us to really work in the dark room and That's we just kind of did a lot of textbook work. Yeah. And um, my sophomore year, I switched teachers, and we both single-handedly reopened my high school's darkroom. And cool. it kind of was like my own personal darkroom because nobody else in my school knew how to use any right. of the chemicals or any used of to that. Film the time. Right. So it was it was nice, and that's kind of where my film photography started. But I did start digital at a young age and did the switch in high school to film. Yeah, it sounds like you really just kind of delved into uh, the practice of it with uh, just totally re reconstructing a dark room. Yeah. Um, so you think, I think that, I, I'm going to assume that's why you sort of veer towards film photography. Uh, you mentioned something felt like it's missing in digital photography, so like, uh, let's just say, I guess the development of the photos itself is what maybe where you feel like this is like, this is art. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of like the feel of film more. I like the grain, the oldness that it brings. It's almost yeah. like vintage right. for lack of better terms. But right. um, I definitely think that darkroom is an art in itself. And I really enjoy the fact that I could totally create my images from beginning till end hands on. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, digital, you snap it and pull it up on a computer. And, you know, you can manipulate it in face or Facebook, Photoshop. and um, that, that's kind of different, but I liked being able to actually sit in the dark room and like see my art come alive. Right, right. And uh, that actually reminds me just of, of a sort of an old uh, idiom or statement that they, uh, they say in the art world that like, you know, constrictions and constraints are sort of like what feeds, you know, art artistry. So that like when you're, when you're told you can't do something and you need to change, you need to adjust something and there are very particular sort of circumstances mm -hmm. behind creating the work, that's when you make the best art, yeah. um, which is maybe why photography uh, is looked at very differently in the digital genre. Um, we we're, we talked about this, or we're going to talk about this in the uh, podcast. In fact, um, just sort of discussing like the digital uh, print publication or the digital publication versus the print publication. Okay. Um, yeah, let me try that. The digital print, the can't talk. The digital publication versus the print publication. Um, and how the York Review itself has always been uh, a print publication, whereas uh, now we're trying to, you know, expand into right. more digital genres. So uh, you recently returned uh, from India, where you, uh, what did you do over there, in fact? I uh, lived there for a month, and I worked with orphans. I uh, went with a program with the school and we did service learning internationally. So we lived at an orphanage and mm -hmm. kind of did some, you know, hands-on help there. But we also did some day trips where we helped, you know, feed the hungry mm -hmm. and just a bunch of different stuff, but mainly it was focused on the orphans. Right. And over there you found a lot of inspiration. Um, so you did uh, collect a number of photographs uh, and come back and develop them. Uh, I have taken a look at them, very beautiful photographs. Um, do, you have, do you think there's a future with that sort of project? Uh, maybe not necessarily with those photos uh, 
as a whole, but maybe just traveling, uh, doing that sort of charitable work. Do you think you have a future sort of in that field? Um, I definitely would like to travel somewhere. Um, what kind of sparked me doing this series, it's called Child of the World, is um, just the culture was so drastically different than what I was used to, so I felt like it was such a good contrast to what everyone else was seeing back here. So right. I only took film photos the entire time I was there, which a mm -hmm. lot of people thought was insane. Right. But um, I took you hundreds. You the immediate return. Right. I had not that instant satisfaction, yeah. but um, I had hundreds and hundreds, and I developed all the negatives, you know, by hand myself. But mm -hmm. um, now I definitely would like to travel. I want to get back to India at some point simply because I miss the orphans a lot. But um, I do want to travel more and places that are so drastically different and just kind of immerse myself in that. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, and it seems like a great experience. Uh, the photographs and just the subjects in the photographs uh, just completely astonished me. Uh, what? Tell me a little bit about uh, some of your favorite photographs, actually, in the uh, in the set. I, I know you had the one of uh, the three little girls. Yeah. Uh, you can tell me about that one, or there was also the, uh, I think it was the mental health facility or something where there was yeah. the, the, yeah. So, um, one of my all-time favorites is titled Sandia, and it's three orphans, that, girls that I worked with um, at the orphanage, and they're, you know, standing around the swing, and... I really enjoy it because me personally knowing these girls, just, you know, the picture speaks volumes mm -hmm. of how they are and their personality. Right. And so just the mere content without any sort of composition behind it. Right. Them. And so when I just hang it up and I you know, I have actually a copy of it hanging in my room because when you know, when I miss them I look at it and I'm like, yeah. you know, there they are in, you know, picture form and it just totally shows their personality and I think that you know a lot of people have said to me you know I just can tell just looking at them the kind of kids they are and you know what they're like and it just yeah. it's one of my favorites and I titled it Sandia because one of the girls in the picture is named Sandia and I became very very close with her and so it's kind of like a you know an ode to her mm -hmm. um, I also really enjoy a um, photo called Leper and we visited a leprosy colony and I wasn't allowed to take pictures the whole time because, you know, these people have been through hell and back and, right. you know, are missing body parts yeah. and just sick. And so I felt, in, you know, I felt it was right not to take pictures. We weren't allowed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to overstep that boundary. It's, you know, personal. But as we're leaving, um, the older man in the picture, his son actually pulled me aside because he saw my camera hanging around my neck. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, can you please take a picture of my dad just so people see him? Right. And that really was, like, it's moving to me. Yeah, I was that's like, incredible. Oh, uh, yeah. So I like, right. picked my camera up. I took a picture. And as soon as I walked away, I was like, that's going to turn out so good. I yeah. just felt like it Certainly. was meant to be. It just... Just, there's so much there's so much meaning behind the content of those photos um, I mean I, I'm thinking here like if if I'm in that position I mean the last thing I'm thinking is sort of the composition of these photos yeah um, it's really just like you're in that moment and just the, that mere fact just gives them value right. um, and like like I think the picture of the dog that you had taken so very sad um, the dog has recently passed yeah. and it makes you think like that the value of that photo uh, just I mean goes up incredibly incredibly high uh, just and the mere fact that, that was the 
probably one photo of that dog taken. Right. So many people in that in that community probably love that animal, uh, and just I don't know they would if they would were given the chance to I think see the photo. Yeah. They would just they would have such a connection to it. Um, and that just goes to speak uh, about what just even what something as simple as photography um, well, can do. Yeah, and I also. Uh, I, something I pride myself on with the Child of the World series is um, I didn't I didn't sit down and pose anybody. It wasn't like in a studio setting where you sit down and right. put this person there and whatever. Right. None of it was posed. It was just merely whatever was going on in that yeah. moment and whatever I was seeing. I just would pick my camera up and click, and that was it. And it's incredible. So you it, sift through the photos and just uh, it seems like everybody is just smiling. And like they're like they're just always like that, yeah. Uh, and it just it speaks volumes about their culture, um, just the way they carry themselves, yeah. Uh, especially around people that aren't necessarily native. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely very interesting stuff. Um, I'm just gonna sort of move the discussion over to so we're gonna speak still, of course, about the India project um, because I think that uh, definitely uh, encapsulates you as a photographer. Um, how do you how do you sort of define uh, successes with these with these photographs? Like what what made you think when you came back and you saw these photographs, you were like these these are the ones, or maybe not necessarily these, but any sort of photograph. When you get it and you have it developed and it's done, what makes you say like this is a successful photograph? Um, I think um, in relation to the India pictures, it was. I picked the pictures that were so deeply personal to me mm-hmm. to process first. Mm-hmm. So the girl, the three girls that right. I was talking about, it's titled Sandia, um, I did that one very first as soon as I came back in January. And I think it's successful to me when I look at it and I can feel exactly what I was feeling the moment I took that picture. Right. And I feel like anybody, if they're sitting there viewing that picture, um, if they can feel sort of what the photographer was feeling in that moment then there. And yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good way to put it. Um, behind sharing your work, in fact, uh, since you do uh, seem to take a lot of pride in these, in these photos, how, how have you been going about sort of sharing them with the world around you? That's a good question. Um, so when I came back and I started to work on my series, I decided that it was such a big body of work and I wanted to keep it together. Mm-hmm. So how many photos did you have exactly? It's twenty. Series is twenty. Um, so and you is, know, is that sorry to cut you off? Yeah, is yeah. that uh, just a selection of ones you took? Yeah. So you had a lot more. Yeah. And just sort of yeah, skimmed hundreds. it down. Yeah, <laughs> I bet I, I would have gone through many yeah. rolls of yes. film there. Yeah. Um, but um, when I was younger, I would you know submit two or three pictures to art shows, right. juried art shows, mm-hmm. and such, and. You know, this series, as I was working through it, I was like, you know, I feel like that just doesn't do it justice just doing three. You know, I feel like it is a body of work that is strong together. Yeah. But also, it shows the people that I cared about the most during this trip. And mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of honor them. So I, I titled it Child of the World because um, I felt like that symbolized the kids to me right. and I decided to start the process to have my own independent art show which mm-hmm. it was my first so it was That's scary awesome. but yeah, really exciting and um, 
I talked to this place in my hometown called the Palette and the Page, mm -hmm. and they were totally on board. Is that really sort of like a it. just sort of an artist's sort of a green room in a sense? They just yeah, collect they, uh, art, show art, yeah. work with artists. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. um, so I started there, and I bought really nice gallery frames yeah. and. I made it about the kids, you know, I got in contact with the Pennsylvania branch of um, the orphanage called Hoena mm -hmm. and um, got some paperwork, awesome. got how to donate, how to sponsor, mm -hmm. and I really advertised it more towards the kids. Um, I talked to local newspapers, local magazines in Maryland, and um, kind of got the ball rolling, so that's kind of mm -hmm. where it started. So when I came back to York, I decided, you know, there's a lot of people here that ask me about my trip and my art and I decided I want to start working towards having an art show here. So currently I'm, you know, tying up some loose ends with possibly having another art show to show the ent entire body and, um, you know, just talking to like, you know, York Review, right. York College just Magazine. reaching out to organizations. Reaching out, you know, and you know, it's not always me reaching out, it's sometimes, you know, people hear about it mm -hmm. and reach out to me. and. Mm -hmm. It's really awesome because I like having the opportunity to show what my trip was and give these people and these kids the recognition they deserve and also, you know, raise awareness of the orphanage I worked at. So yeah. it seems a, a perfect way to sort of bridge the gap between just the personal and the communal sort of art right. worlds. Uh, you go, you take your trip, it means very, very much to you. You come back, you share it, and all of a sudden, uh, people have just very similar feelings right. uh, and and also uh, sort of gather a lot of knowledge uh, just about uh, the things that are going on outside of uh, where we live um, and I know you were a bit hesitant to share your work with us originally um, and I sort of just want to discuss this because I mean us as younger artists we uh, we do feel that way sometimes um, even with submissions to the York Review, um, sometimes hard to foster. Uh, people do a lot of art, but for some reason they tell themselves, you know, I don't think this is good enough. And it's not a matter of like thinking you suck. I think it's more so like, it's like not finished. Yeah. Just like, you know, it just feels incomplete. So you don't want to share it before it's in its final form. Do you think that's sort of what gives you a hesitancy or do you think it's something else maybe? Um, I think my hesitancy came from um, the fact that I think the series, in my opinion, is very personal and you know, with the art show I had the opportunity to answer questions mm -hmm. and tell the stories that I wanted to tell about the specific pieces and I feel like sometimes, you know, yeah, I could, I could type up whole pieces um, to go along with each picture but I right. feel like for the most part I like sharing them in a live setting so mm -hmm. that I can tell the spoken word part of each right. piece and I, I feel like sometimes in paper that kind of gets lost. Right, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, you said live setting um, which is uh, another interesting thing that the Rough Draft podcast would like to experiment with. Um, right now we are available online, however we would like to throw a live podcast just because uh, just having that sort of interaction with the person who makes the thing just for some reason uh, conflates the sort of the sort of the idealism we have towards the art. Um, you know, you hear a beautiful song on the radio 
and then you look up the artist, and you suddenly uh, may have a connection with that artist, or vice versa, you know, something yeah. similar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just seeing more human. Exactly. Exactly. Um, to see this body of work, and to see the person who completed it stand in front of it, and um, you know, not necessarily have positions on it, but just be able to stand there uh, and talk about it. Um, and explore it with other people. People have questions. They may have answers. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless, uh, it's all sort of knowledge and experience that we're just sharing with one another. Um, so yes, this has been, I think this has been a lovely interview. And that's that. I believe we all can find something to take from Tori's approach to not necessarily publishing, but just sharing her work. Uh, I think maybe with the word publishing, uh, we sort of get this impression that there's a, a corporate scaffolding to it, that we're only buying and selling ourselves and our work. But uh, I think what we're really going for uh, is just appreciating, uh, just being weird, uh, being weird with each other. So come, come be weird with us. Eh? Come be weird with us. And yeah, like before we wrap up, I do want to kind of address the nature of our podcast. Um, we call it the Rough Draft. I know it's a punny little name, but it's also very fitting because this may be season two, but we're really just in the infant stages of this thing. We're a couple of passionate college student artists. Yeah, we're two bucking Broncos. It's just sitting in an apartment, just scribbling down everything we can. Bucking Broncos. And we're tired of trying to filter ourselves yeah and tori is tired of sitting here hoping we wrap this up so she can play this beautiful song for us i think i think we all would just like to hear that right now uh, and just revel revel in our imperfection revel in our imperfection here's tori zara strong.